Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Split. You're here with myself, Ashley Wood, and... Jennifer Sanders. Hello, Ashley. Hello. So, another week. I know. (laughs) It's like Groundhog Day. Still. But this week, I feel like we had a little... Things started to change a bit. So, where we are in Ontario, we're allowed to eat on patios. Mm -hmm. So... It was like people coming out of their homes into the sun. Coming out of their bunkers. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but the weather has to be optimal. So I've been rained out twice. So I still haven't actually been to a patio because I, yeah. Oh, such a bummer. We went, yeah, we went, um, we've been out onto two patios now, but I feel like there's more men making these decisions because any woman would be like, we need to be able to get waxed. Like there are things that need to happen before we are released back into society (laughs) (laughs) for our own good and for the good of everybody else. That's right. The role up needed to be in like a different priority sequence here. That's right. We're expected to dress up for dates now, but we haven't had proper... Yeah, proper care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Proper care. Yeah, just making me look less like a troll. But anyways, <laughs> here we are. But yeah, no, that has helped. And I, I, I don't know about you, but even just driving around and seeing other people out on patios, yeah. it feels a little bit less like The Walking Dead. <laughs> I don't know. It's no, I it it is. It's yeah. just normal, and just to meet up. Like I've been, I hadn't met up with a friend I hadn't seen in six months. Yeah. So just starting to reconnect with people and yeah. Do mm-hmm. you feel, I have talked to, like everyone did COVID, di- did COVID, but like yeah. did it differently, right? Some people very strict, stayed home, but like I know I've had friends where they've had even sort of like increased anxiety net like they had to retrain themselves to be social basically 1000 percent. yeah 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 I definitely feel that way um just any social event beyond just my tight covid circle yeah I've been a little bit anxious like what am I going to talk about because my go-to's I mean I haven't been doing any of those things I am I even interesting who am I I don't know like what are we going to talk about yeah do you feel that way like what I do a little bit well I feel I don't feel really the anxiety but I just feel like it's so much easier to stay home now like I'm used to staying home right so it feels like a massive effort to be like oh I have to like do do my hair for mm-hmm. me, like dress appropriately below the waist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always on Zoom, so I wear the yoga pants. Yeah, so yeah. My friend calls them hard pants, like that. If you have to put on jeans or like dress hard pants. pants, hard pants. I'm using that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, it just feels like more effort mm-hmm. and feels, and there's so many like good takeout options. So it still feels like, oh, we can just order takeout. We can just stay in. Well, because so. all of these businesses have adapted. Yeah. So yeah, I know that's, that's a good, that's a But good I point. could see it being like the thought of doing a huge gathering again, like eventually we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, could be yeah a little bit overwhelming and just the energy of all those people but I know last time when we our restrictions started to lift a little bit after the first wave so here in Ontario was like in the fall and I went to an outdoor gathering of I think about like 50 people so you had to sit outside in lawn chairs like in your family pods Mm -hmm. and it was so interesting it was emotional to just be with people yeah and there was something about that energy of just the gathering of people so Mm-hmm. I think it'll be like that again when we start to. I hope so. I hope so because yeah. so much of this experience has been really negative and a lot of judgment and a lot of people kind of 
feeling like the world is inherently bad and selfish. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't think that's the, the way it is. So yeah, to get back to that energy of people like gathering and enjoying people's company and mm-hmm. hopefully, yeah, just, hopefully. I think it'll be slow. Right. And the timing's right. It's summertime. So you can be out and Mm-hmm. Yeah, and trying to support those businesses too. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, 100%. My friend sent a meme that said something like, uh, you know, to help the businesses recoup their losses, you'd have to order like 219 drinks like by September or something like that. So she was, like, was that the excuse? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, ladies, like we have our goals. Of, like <laughs> We've got work to do. <laughs> We've got to help the economy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking to Abby Metcalf today, who we both follow, and you told me a while ago that you had booked her, and I was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think you started on her, like, where you found her on Instagram? Yeah, I heard her on another podcast, actually, All's Fair, um, okay. which was formerly Divorce Sucks podcast, which I also recommend. It's a great show. I heard her on that and then searched her and crept her on Instagram <laughs> and instantly fell in love. But yeah, Dr. Abby Medcalf. So if you haven't heard of her, she's a psychologist. She's a TEDx speaker and author. Um, and then she has this podcast and YouTube channel as well, um, Relationships Made Easy, which I highly recommend. And something that's really interesting about like a lot of what she talks about and what she talks about today is um how you can understanding what is going on inside your brain that is affecting your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others which is really like once you know what's going on within you you can use that in any relationship so So, um yeah but I think and we kind of talk a little bit about this in the show as well as like a positive spin off of a terrible Mm -hmm. divorce is that that this might be the one thing that prompts you to do that inner work and take the time for that Mm -hmm. self-reflection so that you can move forward and break these you know the cycle of shitty relationships yeah and I think she's one of the people that I think I've heard the most be like the most practical right oh yeah all the time it kind of drives a bit of a pet peeve of mine on social media, some people say like have less fear, or, like choose love, or it's like be positive. I do that. <laughs> yeah, I the steps, right? Yeah, because um, it is really easy to say that, but what does that mean practically? Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes, she goes through a lot of that today. Yeah, and it's tips that um, like her big thing is first of all, you don't need both people to show up to therapy mm-hmm. to make the relationship work. Um, so if you're listening right now, you can be that person, yeah. and it's it's not necessarily going to take weeks or months or years of therapy these are tips that you can begin to use today to start making changes yeah and I think definitely everything she says is applicable to that co-parenting relationship right oh a thousand percent relationship with your ex yeah okay please Um, enjoy this episode with Abby Metcalf Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Split, a very exciting episode of Split because we have a phenomenal guest on our show today, Dr. Abby Medcalf. Welcome to the show, Abby. Hi, Abby. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I was telling you before I was fangirling a little. I'm like, hey, I love these two. Follow yes, uh, we are too. The feeling is mutual. I assure you. I uh, binge through your podcast on the regular. Just listen to Loving Detachment, which was one of my all-time favorite episodes of yours so far. So anybody listening, we'll get to how people can find you later. But that is an episode you you do not want to miss. It was one of my favorites too. Obviously. Is it? Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. It's so, like, applicable to so many things. As she was saying before, I think this applied to every relationship I've ever had. Yes. So. (laughs) That makes me so happy. Well, boundaries, right? It's why we're all here, is trying to figure out our boundaries. It's what it's all about. So, yeah, I'm really happy to hear that. I worked hard on that one, so that's great. Yes, absolutely. So to start now, you part of the reason why we were so excited to have you on our show is that you have a really unique uh, approach with your uh, in your practice and how you help uh, people and couples uh, in particular. So could you explain a little bit in your own words about um, how you help people in with their relationships? Sure. You know, I um, when I first got into counseling. You know, I was going to be a lawyer. I actually have a bachelor's in poli sci. uh, And I was going to be a lawyer. That's what I wanted to do. I was at Columbia pre-law. That's what I wanted. And then I worked for a lawyer and thought, oh, I don't want to do this at all. (laughs) This is not what I want to do. And I ended up uh, (laughs) getting, uh, I'm a recovering heroin addict. And in my journeys of recovery, you know, I, I found that I had an affinity with people and that's the part I like I thought I was gonna like about lawyering was helping people and being there and supporting people. So all those years, so I kind of got into counseling and then I wanted something bigger. So I got a business degree and I was going that route and working in business with executives in trouble and uh, with drug problems. And what I found was I was working with them and I didn't know I shouldn't be counseling because that was my background. So I was going to counseling, not really coaching. And uh, <laughs> what happened was I was helping their relationships at home. They, you know, when you get, if you have five DUIs and uh, back East, we call them DWIs, but here on the West Coast, they call them DUIs. Um, but when you, you know, have five DUIs and you're having all these issues, you don't have a happy home life. You know, it's not, that's, they don't go together. And so I was working with these mostly men who were doing very well at work and failing miserably at home and hence were miserable overall. And so I started helping them and, and I never met their partners, their wives, but I was helping their relationships. And I realized that I could really, first of all, help people when I help change one person and that a lot of the, I could talk to them in this kind of business language that they could relate to. So we said, you know, attention training, not mindfulness, right? We, we, we use different words. And a lot of what I learned in business school is so right. helpful in relationships because that's what businesses are, right? You know, they're relationships. And they, businesses study, they spend a lot more money on how to be effective than people, than regular old people do. So I used a lot of those concepts. I mixed them up with all my counseling experience. And I'm a research junkie like I read constantly I am oh you know from listening to my podcast that's all I do is read books and I put that all together and I see yes something different you know I have a different approach that's really effective that's really about actionable tools walking away like today everybody who's listening is going to walk away going I can do that here's here's like a few things I can do to really feel different right now and to make change 
Yeah, because I, I think the idea for the idea of going to a therapist, you know, on a weekly or biweekly basis for months at a time is just so unappealing to a lot of people and can kind of keep people from maybe seeking the help that they need. So I love that you are, you know, right to business. Just mm-hmm. this is okay. This is a situation. These are some things that you can go home and do today. I love that. Our podcast is called Split, so we're dealing with people that are going through separations and divorce, but people really want to work on themselves before they get into that next new relationship. Um, The best analogy I ever heard that I use a lot with my clients is that, you know, you have this baggage, but unless, like after your marriage, but unless you unpack it and deal with it, you're really just like taking those suitcases (laughs) and bringing them to the next person, right? To the next relationship. So I love that, that you can work on yourself because I think people don't and then they wait till that next relationship and then they go into couples counseling so that we can work on ourselves to then thereby work on our relationships. Well, I say all the time that you, first of all, you begin your next relationship where you ended your last one. So if you want something different in the new one, you absolutely Mm. positively must I tell couples this all the time. I work with a lot of couples who are divorcing or deciding to or whatever. And I tell them all the time, you have to do this work anyway. You have to do it. You don't have a choice. Otherwise, you will repeat this relationship over and over. He might look different (laughs) later. He might have a different job. But six months in, you're going to find the same guy you just left. And that resentment is, you know, that you might have from the old relationship, the frustrations, they're going to show up over and over and over because it's what you're expecting and you will make that happen again. Yeah. And I think there's, um, you know, another benefit too to kind of looking within and taking ownership of our stuff. It helps us accept what didn't work and move forward. Like it helps us get out of that victim mindset of, you know, it was all them. It wasn't me taking ownership of your stuff allows you to say, okay, if this is where I went wrong, then I can do X, Y, and Z to now move forward and have the future that I want, which is pretty powerful. Um, I know like a big focus in your work, like you said already, you are a research junkie, which I love. I've learned so much from listening from you, um, you talk about what is going on physically and, and uh, the the science of our brains. And one thing uh, that I picked up from, uh, I've heard you talk about it on a few episodes, is the RAS, which I just find really interesting, but I had no idea what that even stood for prior to listening to you. So can you explain what that is, what that stands for to our listeners and talk about how that applies to how we show up uh, as a self and in our relationships? Yes. So the RAS, is a game changer when you understand it. And it stands for your reticular activating system, which sounds crazy, but basically your RAS is a filter between your conscious and your subconscious brain. So whatever I think about consciously, I send that as an order to my, my my RAS sends it as an order to my subconscious to look for that thing. And the easiest examples I always give are, you know, when you've been pregnant, you know how you see pregnant women everywhere? <laughs> Suddenly it's like, is there a population explosion right now? Is every woman pregnant with yes. me? My God. And I never see pregnant women anymore. <laughs> I somehow, there's no more pregnant women because I'm not pregnant. Or when you're going to buy a new car, you see that car everywhere. And that's because you are consciously thinking about this thing. 
and mm-hmm. it sends it as an order to look for it out in the environment. And that's what happens. So if I just left my relationship and I think that I'll say as a woman, you know, men, uh, you can't trust men. They never show up the way they should. Uh, you know, they don't know how to appreciate, Mm -hmm. uh, they don't work as hard as we do, whatever. As I'm saying those things, my RAS takes that as an order to look for those things. So as I meet men or as I'm dating, they will show up. They won't appreciate me. They won't be there. They won't be honest if I think they lie. I will see it over and over. And here is the most scary part of the RAS is that not only will it do that, not only will it look for what you tell it, what you consciously think about, but it will filter out anything that doesn't match. So when my partner is appreciative, when they are trusting, I won't see it. You're like Teflon for when they are acting in a certain way. And it's also another piece of this is a psychological uh, mechanism called confirmation bias. Well, basically we're always trying to prove ourselves right even when it makes us miserable. And so when you put the RAS and confirmation bias together, mm-hmm. you're screwed. You're, it's like, it's bad news. So you really have to purposely yeah. program your RAS for what you do want. And so the easiest thing I say to people is when you see what you don't want, you know, if someone isn't saying thank you, if they're not, you know, whatever's happening, immediately think about, well, what do I want? What do I want? Well, I want to feel appreciated. I want to feel loved. I want to feel, you know, like I want my man to look at me like I'm magic, right? And so as you look, as you focus on that, you will start to see those things. That's what will be there all the time. It's amazing. It seems to change overnight, and it's not. because you're actually looking at the world in a skewed way and don't realize it before. And so having faith in the positive, having faith in the good stuff, you know, is way better than having faith in fear. It, it, I don't know why we put more emphasis on fear than we do on love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a love thing. So you got to put the faith in love. And how yeah. do you recommend to clients that they do that in practical ways, like that they would actually write out what they want or daily affirmations, those types of things? Like, yeah, how can they do that? Ways. So my my number one favorite way is to do acts of kindness for, like, I want to see more appreciation. So I'm going to act more appreciative in my relationship. I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to do things here and there. And by the way, this works in all relationships with your kids, with your, you know, with your mom, with your sister, with your friends, it works everywhere. But that's one thing. The second thing is to set intention often. And setting intention is basically where you're uh, really just taking a moment. I call it the 18 second shift because I have timed it. And that's on average how long it takes. It's 18 seconds. That's it. To just stop, to take a no, to take a breath, and to set an intention. So, before I walk in my home at night, I set an intention to be patient. I'm very impatient. I'm horrible. I'm so impatient. So I'll set an uh, intention to be patient. And what? Uh, <laughs> and what happens? Because what? What do I normally do? I would come in the house, right? I'm like, 
Where's the kids? Where's the homework? Who's got dinner started? Did anybody pick up the dog poop? What's going on, right? I'm doing my task. And that's not very intentional. And shockingly, yeah. people don't like when I try to control their every movement. I'm surprised because I like to control everybody. And I think it's they should enjoy it. And they don't. <laughs> so what happens when I do that, when I set that intention and I walk in the house that way, everybody feels the energy of that everybody and you know this is true because you have had it the opposite mm -hmm. you've been home in a good mood and your partner walks in and they're in a bad mood and you know and you haven't even seen them yet like there's a disturbance in the force in the house you know you just like mm -hmm. no and that is the same thing the other way when we're that way when we put out the good yeah. stuff people pick it up my son will actually say to me because I always stop my car before I get home and I set intention. He'll say, did you not park your car today? Like he can tell when I haven't, it's annoying, when I haven't set intention because my energy is different. <laughs> I'm impatient. I'm, I'm doing, I'm going. And it's a very different thing. So that is programming your RAS for what you do want, not what you don't want. And miraculously, you'll start to see it all the time. So just before you walk in your home at any time, before you set intention, take take one, you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to breathe special. You don't have to like do anything. Just set a second, 18 seconds, <laughs> close your eyes, set your intention for how you wanna show up when you walk in. Then before you go into work, I do it. I'm sure you guys do it. I do it right before I came on this podcast. I sat here in my office and I set intention and I, I jumped up and down a little. I do that for my energy level. I get it all up. And I was like, I want everyone to walk away with like great tips to feel really inspired, to be so excited, to inspired and excited to really do it great. And that's what I'm bringing when I sit down and you can feel it, I hope. You know, my clients can feel it. Like that's what, and it just takes a second. And frankly, I feel better. Yeah. So it's like a win-win. Yeah. I love how you're saying it too, especially like obviously we're on screens right now and even in relationships, a lot of it is over text or in a phone call, but still to do it with that technology communication too, right? Not necessarily the face-to-face. -face. And I think we don't think about that sometimes. Yeah. And especially I feel like things get dead in sometimes it's important yeah. to put that energy into the well, those communications that too goes along this is so good you know that goes along with the ras which uh is uh, really about your what's happening with that unconscious so uh timothy wilson wrote a great book years ago it's one of my favorites called the strange called strangers to ourselves it's about your maladaptive unconscious don't even you don't even want to read it but it's a great book but in it he has <laughs> Don't try to read it. Research is amazing. And what they found is that our conscious brain, so what I'm consciously thinking about, we're, you know, right now looking at you, talking to you, right now I am processing 50 bits of information a second with my conscious brain. But at the same time, my unconscious brain, that subconscious, is processing mm -hmm. information at a rate of 11 million bits per second. I, I really want you to just stop and think, anyone who's listening right now. So 50 bits is that consciousness, wow. 11 million is our unconscious. So yeah. my partner doesn't hear what I say, he hears what I mean. Everybody in your life is like this. 
So, and you know, because you've had conversations with people and they were saying all the right things and inside you're like, this person is full of crap. I don't believe a word they're saying. And they're saying all the right things and they have good body posture or whatever and you're mm-hmm. not buying it. You're not picking up what they're laying down. And this is happening all the time. So what I see a lot is again, and with that RAS, that people will have a, and let's say a woman who comes to see me you know, we'll, I'll give her some great tool to work, you know, on any of her relationships with, but, and she leaves my office maybe inspired, like, oh, I'm gonna use that tool, it's gonna be great, da da da. But inside, there's this unconscious of, oh, it's gonna take a lot of work to change, it's nothing's this easy, 18 seconds is crap, come on, that's not gonna do it, mm-hmm. all this doubt. So when I go to use the tool, that's what people are picking up on. They pick up on my doubt that I don't think it's gonna work. So I'm saying the right thing, but inside I don't believe it. And then the other person doesn't react the way I think they should if they're getting, you know, if I'm using this new tool because they're thinking, well, yeah, she's acting different now, but let's see how long that lasts. Because they're picking up on this incongruency. They can feel that these words are one thing, but right. there's something else here, so they don't believe it. And then you're trying so hard, they don't change, so you stop. You go, oh, enough, I've worked, I've worked, I've done all this stuff, and, and, and they didn't change. And then the other person goes, see, I knew it. I knew it, if I just wait it out, it's, it's gonna go back to how it was. And then that yeah. person comes back to my office and tells me it doesn't work, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's, it does work, but you have to be congruent in what you're putting out and channeling and really, really uh, directing your RAS where you want it to be is one of the ways that you get your conscious and your unconscious aligned. And until you can align those, you're going to keep hitting these walls of miscommunication. Okay. Everyone comes in and tells me they, you know, I have a problem communicating and it's, you're communicating all the time, just not what you want to communicate. That's the problem. You have to get in charge of what you're communicating. And all that unconscious communication is huge. Right. And is that doubt, is that kind of the fear? Is that what is underlying all of that is fear that it's not going to work, fear that we won't be loved, like things like that? Or what? Like what is... That's kind of what's holding, what holds people back from yeah. going all in with their intention. I mean, Shakespeare said it all that time ago, right? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And they had to say it because we're so afraid to do it. We are so afraid. People, you know, they stay on the first floor because they think, well, if I fall from the first floor, it's not going to hurt as much as falling from the 10th floor. So I won't, you know, try. I won't really go for it. I won't give my full heart. Because I'm so right. afraid, and that's why I say all the time, you have to stop having faith in fear. What is this faith we have in fear? It, faith means seeing what's not there, right? Believing what we can't see. And we can't see the bad outcome any more than we can see a good outcome. So why do we have mm-hmm. this faith in things going bad as opposed to things going good? Why don't we trust ourselves enough to know that we will be okay if it doesn't work out? It's fine. And what's interesting, though, is that we do this in love, but we don't do it in our, with our children. 
if, if your kid is having a really hard time with something and they don't like how you're acting, my 17-year-old my right. just failed a bunch of classes at school and it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, shit show and everything else. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God. And he doesn't like, you know, I'm having to draw, we're having to draw boundaries. He has to go to summer <laughs> school. He doesn't get to do travel ball this summer. Like, there is stuff he's pissed about. But I'm not afraid of him not loving me. I'm not afraid that of putting down rules. I'm not afraid of what right. there is no option except to make sure I do everything I, in my power to love him fully. I will never, I don't care what, like, I will never not love him with every single ounce of my being. So why do we treat our partners differently? Why don't we give them yeah. the same in I'm gonna make this happen I'm, I'm a force of nature I you know we're gonna make this happen in this way and I don't worry I mean I don't like when my son is mad at me I don't I don't enjoy it when he's not happy but I'm not afraid I'm not you know I I just keep coming at him with love and sure enough it took him it took him not even one day to stop yeah. being mad you know to just turn it around and we were back to, we were watching the Mets today together, you know, today, you know, <laughs> he's fine. We're fine. We're better for it. But there's something that gets missed with, you know, our partners. We have such a different expectation and feeling. And I have to tell you, if God forbid their dad died, I would be, but God forbid one of my kids died. I hate to say it, but I would be way, way more devastated by a child dying. So I love that. So I have a different, deeper love for my kid than I do, mm -hmm. right? For their dad. So what's what's going on here, right? What what are we so afraid of? And it's time to really stop. It's really time to stop having faith and fear. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's really mm -hmm. time to go all in with love. And people are also the thing I hear they say to me, well, I'm afraid I'll get taken advantage of. That's my favorite. Like, I'm going to get taken advantage of. That's what we're so worried about. And I say, do you not have boundaries? Mm -hmm. Like, where are your boundaries? They, you, they're not going to get taken advantage of. You have a boundary to give your life. I don't worry about my son taking advantage of me when I love him so much or my daughter, you know, they're not. I mean, they could, I guess, right? They could take advantage, but I don't, I have boundaries with them. We have rules, mm -hmm. we have ways we do this. So I can love them fully and not be worried. They're not gonna take advantage. So why do we think our partners will? What is that? I, I think that there's, there's so many misconceptions about what healthy boundaries actually are. Mm -hmm. Like when people hear the word and maybe because of how it's used in, in other in other ways is that you know it's something to keep people farther away from us keep them from coming close when really boundaries bring people closer together mm -hmm. and you know maybe that's part of it I will say personally before I went through my own separation and I'd been in therapy almost my entire effing life I didn't really know anything about boundaries I didn't have healthy boundaries um, when I finally connected with the right coach slash therapist and she started explaining what healthy boundaries were I was like oh aha this is mm -hmm. this is why things have not been working out for me <laughs> it's actually this is on me I can but I, I can some of these yeah I need some of these <laughs> but it's good because now I know that no matter what anybody else does I can still love people 
in the way that, you know, feels right for me. I can still have connections with people who I may not align with fully. It's a beautiful thing. But yeah, maybe that is part of it. I don't know what your take is. But I hear at least from clients when they come to me, they'll say things like, you know, I've tried to set a boundary with him, but he just doesn't respect it. And I'm like, oh, that's, I think that's where we need to start. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really close to my ex and his wife. And my current partner's ex-wife and I are close. You know, we have, I practice what I preach. You know, I've gone through this. I've done this. I, you know, I fully love, love, love my ex-husband. He's such a good man. I was very lucky. And, you know, we, though, did that work. I did the work. You know, sometimes it's more me knowing what I know, right? Come in at the love, come in at the love, no matter what comes back. And it's, that's the definition of love you know is that you love not looking for what's coming back and again with kids that's why i use kids a lot because a lot of people have kids and they can relate we're we're not looking for things to come back Mm -hmm. we understand that the love is more one way but with again with our adult relationships we don't i don't know you know we don't have that same openness and yes the boundaries are what it's all about because that is boundaries mean you're accessible to other people because they know how to be with you and where where they can be held and that consistency over and over but what happens a lot is people i talked about this on the one podcast you love people's boundaries are too thin they allow all kinds of poor behavior and then when people, so they allow all this stuff, like, oh, my kid's acting really nice now, so I'm going to give them everything. And then the kid oversteps a bound, let's say, with a kid, right? And then we get like, no, and we smack down and we go way to the other side of the boundary. And we have very thick boundaries instead of such thin boundaries. And we, we withhold our love. We withhold our time. We, I'm not going to yeah. talk to you. Then nothing. We cut people off. People cut people off. You know, it's, and it's, the problem is that your boundaries shouldn't change because of how other people act. Your boundaries need to be the same all the time. How other people act, that's the problem, that we change them because, oh, they're nicer, I'm going to be nicer, I'm going to make my boundaries thinner. Oh, they're mean, so I'm going to make my boundaries thicker. Uh, Your boundary stays the same, (laughs) no matter what they're doing, because your boundaries about you, not about them. And that's the big mistake. And that's what people are doing. And that's why, and you have to, I have to tell you at the end of the day, you have Mm -hmm. to trust yourself enough to make it. And I think women, especially we, we just aren't great all the time at trusting our judgment, our own judgment. Men get different training around this. They're taught a lot that, oh, you said it. So it's right. Go get them, tiger. You know, like you got it. Yeah. I grew up with older brothers in my house. You know, my brothers would like preen in front of the mirror. <laughs> I'm so good looking. I'm so great. At, you know, Jewish boys. That's why I didn't marry one. But anyway, uh, but <laughs> but do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I watch my son compared to my daughter. They're both raised by you know us, right? These I think really healthy parents. And. You know, my son is very full of all his fabulousness in a way my daughter is not. She's yeah. more tentative towards it. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, so I think that's what happens. And especially in a divorce, we start to question, why did I stay so long? What, you know, what did I not see for so long? We question our judgment with, with pick, our picker. 
you know, I have a, I, I hear women more say this, I have a bad picker. I don't hear men say that like that. I really don't. And I work with a lot of men. Men don't, they just see it as, you know, bitches be crazy. Right? It's bitches be crazy. Right. It's all over there. And women are like, I have a bad picker. I don't know what <laughs> I'm doing. And it's incredible to watch. Right? Right? And that's what happens. It's me. Yeah. Our, our knowing. We have such knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we yeah. don't trust it. And that's really what all this is about, is having a good relationship with yourself. Because if I don't trust me, how do I expect other people to trust me? Really. And do you see that fear? I want to kind of go back to that fear piece that, you know, we know that statistically there's, you know, higher divorce rates for second marriages, third marriages, whatever. Do you think, I wonder how much that does relate to that fear because I think yep. there's so much fear of messing oh, yeah. it up again, getting hurt again. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's, do you see Absolutely. in your clients yeah, when I it's a second marriage that that fear is holding yeah, people right, back? Right. We get up to 70, 80% failure rates. If, and I hate that word, yeah. even failure rates, a divorce rate. Um, because, you know, it's really high. It's scarily high. It's right? high. I mean, it's, and I do. Well, I think yeah. That, number <laughs> one, I think a few things happen. I think often men who are married a long time mm-hmm. get right back into a relationship. You've seen it over and over, I know. Men are, I call it the Paul McCartney syndrome, right? Paul McCartney was so in love with Linda. He, I mean, my God, what a epic love of the ages, right? He dies and he's married in like a year. And everyone's thinking, oh, that shows that he didn't really love Linda. Oh, no, that yeah. shows yeah. how much he loved Linda and being married. Yeah. He loved being married. He loved being in that. But the problem was, you, you know, you can't get that again. That doesn't really work that way. You know, it's not how it goes. So there's that issue, which I think has something to do with the high divorce rate that men, I think, I believe, marry kind of too quickly and then realize that maybe that wasn't the best idea. But for women, uh, I think it's a little different. And I think we are the ones with okay. so much doubt and so much worry and not mm-hmm. wanting to be like, oh, I have another failure. And that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we're so afraid we don't speak our mind the way we should or we don't you know we don't really or we're bringing in all the baggage like you were saying right like jennifer was bringing up before we have all this baggage from our previous relationship that we never unpacked and here it is now in the living room and we have clothes all over the living room because we just unpacked it everywhere and we have some problems, right? So yeah, it is, I yep. believe you're totally right on. I think it's yep. a, a real self-fulfilling prophecy that we're bringing in. And so doing this work and really having a very good relationship with yourself and being so happy on your own is the most important thing. It's the most important thing. Marriage doesn't make you happy. Partners don't make us feel less lonely. That's actually not how that works. We have to feel less lonely to be able to really be with a partner and have a close, intimate relationship. Because you know, you can feel lonelier in a room full of people than you feel alone, right? You, you can feel really lonely with a, with a partner. I know lots of people who report that. So it's not, but we have this idea that, you know, when, right, when I have a partner, when I get married, when we yeah. have a house together, when we get engaged, then I'll be blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's the opposite. We actually know that from the research, by the way. The research shows that people who are happier first get the right. things they want. 
we know this. A great uh, Sean Acor's work, amazing, mm. like great research, been done for decades. So you really have to, yeah. it's so, like, that's what I say, you have to do this work anyway. You've got to get good at this because you can't do the next step well without it. Yeah. How do you find, like, where do, where would, what would your thoughts be about how someone can judge when they are ready so to good. go into um, that next relationship a after a separation? It's not time, by the way. People get very caught up in time, you know, and, uh, you know, it has to be a certain amount of time, otherwise it's too soon or too quick. Because I know people who mm -hmm. did a lot of work in their marriage to leave well. And so by the time they left and the divorce was final, they actually were very ready for another relationship. Do you know what I mean? They had already been leaving for a long time and doing the work and getting through it and really doing it well. And I know other people, of course, who are not ready. Yeah. Them. So I want to say that first. Do not go by time. Do not let anyone else tell you it's too soon or not enough or whatever. That's BS. But I will say, it's to me, it's that you 100% have love and forgiveness for your ex. That's it. If you have mm. any resentment, yeah, I, love I that. know. Yeah. I know. If you have any resentment. That's a hard one. Yeah, that's ready. a heavy one. Any resentment, you have to work it out. You've got to work it out. You've got to forgive. I don't know what mm -hmm. is forgiveness. I mean, I know it's hard. People think of things that have happened. People cheated. I, I had someone not long ago who spent all the money. These people thought they were like millionaires. Their wife thought they were had like millions of dollars. He had gambled it all away, all of it, all of it. They didn't own their home anymore. And I mean, betrayal, right? You're oh, like, oh, uh, and yeah. obviously I've had people cheat or have secret lives or, you know, other families. I've worked with people of other families, you know, just all kinds yeah. of things. And whatever it is, you, you're going to have to do this work. I know. And it's the, we call it like the paradox Gosh. of forgiveness is that by giving this mercy, this compassion to another mm -hmm. person, we, we are the ones and we really are set free. It's, it, it's transformative what happens. And by the way, it's generational. If you have resentment for your ex, if you do have kids, they're picking up on that. And that's becoming part of their story and their stuff. And we know from the research that's very unhealthy for them. So even if it's yeah. the only reason you do the work mm -hmm. is for your kids, then do it for that. I don't care what your goal, you know, reason is. It will make you healthier physically and psychologically better, all those good things. So, I mean, it is for you too. You get that on the other side, but it's this very, I just, it's so important that you rewrite this story somehow and take ownership and responsibility so you can change, so you can move on, so you can have a happy next whatever. I've had lots of people leave the guy or leave the woman and they were miserable and thinking, oh, if I just get rid of them, I'll be so much happier and they're not right you know i mean my gosh you guys really know it's it's the saddest yeah. thing to me in the world and you, you right it's so sad they've done they've spent money and time all this <laughs> to divorce to get rid of this person and they they won't let them go and you know too when you see divorces last a really long time i always say that if your divorce is lasting a long time and you are fighting over all the things we we all know sitting here that's then you haven't let go of this relationship. You are trying to stay connected. 
And I tell people this all the time, right? Because they'll say to me, he's fighting me over, you know, yeah. the books. And I, I, you know, they're just books. Why does he care? I'm like, because he's trying to stay connected to you. Why do you care? Like, if you don't care, if they're so inconsequential, give them all the money. I'll buy some yeah. new books. Thank they you haven't let much. go. I can't it's wait not to the get books. some new books. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you think yeah. about it, I can't imagine what are the smallest things you've ever exactly. done. So yeah. ask. Look, I'm asking you. What are the smallest things people have ever thought about? Like what, you know, that you were like, what, are you crazy fighting over this? I, I'm dying to hear. Oh, there's. I uh, have uh, garden gnomes. <laughs> that's my garden gnomes <laughs> yeah i think that takes oh, the, about the gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> there's something deeper going on here yeah <laughs> but that's the one garden gnomes there's lots of other things so much that is perfect, right? yeah like you can't get garden gnomes yeah i think yes. gnomes he didn't even like the gnomes you know it's deeper and than the gnomes yeah them, right it's like Bless him with the gnomes. Like now he gets to have the gnomes. Isn't that nice? That you know, is, I, right? Yeah. What were you doing here? And yeah, let yeah. <laughs> him yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. When we, when you really forgive like that, you actually start to truly own your life and have emotional maturity, so that you really can have this next level, which you deserve. You've been through a lot, you mm -hmm. know, it's a lot to split. I know, you know, it's a mm -hmm. lot. And it's it's so great to feel that ease with this other, I mean, I can tell you from the other side of it, it's just amazing, you know, to co-parent and to have everyone over on my daughter's birthday, you know, all the new wives and the ex wife you know, everyone's in the room and my children are so much the better for it. They have a lot of people who love them. I'm so, by the oh, way, beautiful. I think everyone should have an extra wife. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Having, and I will out Evelyn Medcalf. We love you so much. Evelyn, mm -hmm. I love you. I have this woman who my ex married, who's delightful. She's so wonderful to my kids. She loves my kids. <laughs> And I'm grateful for her all the time. You know, I've had my daughter call before the pandemic, call sick from school. And I'm like, can Evelyn get you? You know, can you? And That's yeah, amazing. Evelyn, you know, having an extra wife around, very good, very good. Extra people to help. And it's a wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, sister wives doesn't look so crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> such a nice. You know, it's like I'm I'm doing something, hey, there's something. Uh, for my 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 stepson. Yeah. We're you know, buying some <laughs> stuff, and uh, their mom was like, "Ooh, I get to shop at IKEA with Abby." That's what my what Gary was just telling me. My my partner was just telling me he's like, "She's all excited to shop with you at IKEA to set up his room." You know, and I love it. You know, it's so much fun to be part of their lives and have it. It really is on the other side. It's not utopia. It's not perfect, and it but it's possible when yeah. you set intention and really want it and i it's i mean my life's a lot easier for it and i can only and i know people have had things happen and i had things happen in my marriage i didn't mm -hmm. think were forgivable and they are and you just have to decide you've got to decide and i'm sure he had things he didn't want to forgive with me and he decided you know it's 
you got to do it. Otherwise, you are really, you really are drinking your own poison kind of thing. Um, and I don't want anyone listening to do that. And I know we got off on forgiveness. Sorry. I know that wasn't our direction, but there you go. No, I, I'm glad. Yeah, and I think it kind of does, it ties into the RAS because when you, when I heard you talking about if you can't do it for yourself or you can't start on the forgiveness piece with yourself, do it for your children and their future. And I know for myself, when I started to look at it that way and shift, you know, widen the lens a bit and think big picture. Um, and I started thinking about how, you know, our relationship was total trash, but he was showing up in, in positive ways as a, as a parent to our daughter that made me see him just, even it was just so such a, such a slight shift that helped. And then I started seeing those things more. And I think like time only heals if you take the time to heal. So if you do the work, which is, you know, what what you're saying here but I do think they're kind of connected I never really thought of it that way but I think that yeah, it's not just being positive I, and you know all all like magic it's it's science it's pretty cool mm -hmm. so yeah I'm like really not about like everything is puppy dog tails. oh good it's not all puppy dog tails and rainbows you know we we get into it sometimes I saw that yeah <laughs> but it, but that's in any relationship any relationship I have is not puppy dog tails and rainbows all the time. It's not how they are. So yeah, when you start to really, I mean, no matter what, yeah. you've got this beautiful little girl. Like, how could you not love this mm -hmm. and appreciate mm -hmm. this man for giving you this person? Like, at the end, I, you know, and if you don't have kids and you're going through stuff, mm -hmm. you know, it's still the same that there was this there's so much you yeah. did gain from being in the relationship and how can you, even if it was a S show, you know, it would suck and crazy. If you're on this, this side, listening mm -hmm. to this podcast right now, you're taking ownership of your life, maybe for the first time. And so that's really great. And maybe it took that to do that. So you can have the next great 40 years or 30 years or 20 years or 50 years, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, if you can think of, I say all the time that, you know, life happens for us, not to us. And if you can find the space for that, you know, not the day after the divorce, not, you know, when you're in the thick of everything, all yeah. the crazy, I get it. It takes a moment. You've got to be there. You have to grieve. You have to be pissed. It's, it's good to be pissed. Yeah. It's just not good to be resentful. So you have to figure out where the anger stops. Anger's healthy and fine. Resentment is not. So where are you in the scale? Right. Right. And that, that's where you want to stop it. And I think that I, when you were talking about the RIF, I was thinking about some of my clients, the like really hot, high conflict clients in mediation. They are so deep into it and deep into that um, confirmation bias that I'm literally watching them both. Like one person will say something neutral. I thought it was kind, normal. And the other person just takes it, you know, how, oh, I know what you're up to. Yeah, here like, we go again. So, <laughs> and, and they just can't, they're just expecting that for sure the other person must be being a jerk. Um, and they've got a huge blind spot. So it, it takes, I think, time and practice. Yep. So I think to the other party, if they're going to start to show up in yep. different ways, they're probably going to have to do that for a while, too, yep. to start for the other person to start kind of believing it and seeing it, right? They're so deep into um, it sometimes. It's a little acronym I use that you can use as a frame to help you know where you are. 
and that's a verb. Mm -hmm. So it's that you're not acting like a victim. You're, that's the V. The E is that you don't act entitled. You're not do anything because you're the mother of the children or, you know, because I was there for this long or you're not entitled to anything. That's not how it works. You can't read minds. I know what he's thinking. I know why she said that. I know, right? I know. I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, you don't know, right? You can't I love that. that. Yeah. They yeah. can't read yours. Oh, he knew you don't know. He knew yes. To me, he knew what he was doing when he said that, right? They can't. So no reading minds and no blame. Yeah. Be yeah. Blame. So if you're blaming them or yeah. they're blaming you, you know, you're in a, I, I, I treat it like if, you know, you ever talk to someone who's drunk, you know, someone's had too much to drink mm -hmm. and you're like, I should just stop this conversation. There's, it's not going anywhere. There, nothing's going in. That's how verb is. When you're in verb, it's like a drunk person, right? Nothing is really hitting. <laughs> nothing's going in. So if you're talking to yeah. your ex or soon to be ex yeah. and either of you, is acting like a victim, acting entitled, trying to read minds or blaming, stop the conversation. Just stop, just reset, set intention, brings everybody back to the room. Be, like that is your, and, and you guys can use that when mm -hmm. you're doing right. you know? I mean, really, you just like, if anyone's doing these things, we're gonna stop the conversation because it's not useful. It's not helpful, we're not gonna get anywhere. You both have to take responsibility, right? But yeah. that, for, uh, I have so many clients who really, you know, like having a, like, okay, let me just stay. And I use it yeah. myself when I notice I'm doing something like this. I can stop my behavior and, or stop the conversation and really, so verb, so take that to the bank uh, and use that as your way to know yeah. if you need to shift gears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I like how practical that is, right? That there's actually sort of touch yeah. points there that you can ask yourself the questions because sometimes it's hard when things are vague. It's like, well, how do I know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely pull my clients out. Well, now it's on Zoom, but we bring them out into the waiting room sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> I just click the button and out they go. <laughs> Well, I love all of these um, helpful tips, Abby. I think um, so much of this is like self-awareness and having a structure and like you said, a frame to go about, uh, you know, communication and managing or reducing conflict. So I know that this info is going to be so valuable to all of our listeners. And I've certainly learned a lot, even though I, I'm, you know, one of your biggest fans, I've learned a lot <laughs> even tonight. So I'm so thankful to have had you here um we are going to put links to you in the show notes but would you like to share anything that you have um on that's new right now or the best way for people to connect with you yeah so the website yep. is really it so abbymedcalf.com which you'll link to uh and because the podcast is there and the blog and the youtube channel and all the social media and all the things and my ted talk and my but there is a uh and i have a book I'm going to finish this summer called uh, Negative Things <laughs> and Not in a Good Way. Um, so that'll be uh, coming out next. And then uh, on the, there's a, there is a shop page on the website where there are free things. So there's a, uh, there's a, like an optimism jumpstart workshop that's totally free, you oh, know, great. to get a little, to learn how to be optimistic from the science and 
there's a meditation and a mindfulness starter kit, like totally free. There's a forgiveness, there is a forgiveness masterclass on there that costs money, but there's lots of free things. You don't have to put in an email. You don't have to put in a credit card. You don't have to anything. You can really <laughs> get all these things. Um, oh wait, you do have to put in your email. Sorry, because we need to email to you. But you don't have to put in a credit yeah. card. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, sketch about it. I'm not sketchy. I'm, I'm very straightforward. Like here you can buy this or this is all free. Awesome. Well, th thank you again, Abby. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I love it. It was so great to be here. Thank okay. you so much. Bye. Bye. -bye.